So we are currently going through a study of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And the theme of our um, study through Philippians is uh, the fellowship of the gospel. And the reason we chose that as our theme is, first of all, because that was the situation with Paul and the Philippians. They were partnered together for the purpose of the gospel. You see, Paul had been the one who brought the gospel to Philippi and a church was established. And then when Paul left them, they partnered with him so that more churches could be established throughout the Roman world and that more people could come to experience the salvation of Jesus that they had experienced. And so they were in the fellowship of the gospel. But we also have this as our theme because that is what we want to do. We want to see the gospel uh, expand through this series of teaching. Now, perhaps you're saying, well, what is the gospel? And of course, I think the term is familiar with probably most people, but a lot of people don't know the meaning. Uh, the simple meaning is good news. It means the good news. This is the good news that God has made a way for us human beings to have our sins forgiven. Our sins have been the thing that have separated us from him. He's made a way for our sins to be forgiven so we could be reconciled to him, come into a relationship with him and live in that relationship and enjoy the life of fellowship that God intended us to have. And he's done all of this through Jesus Christ. And as we put our personal faith and trust in him, we enter into the fellowship with the Father through the gospel. We're gonna talk more about that at the end of the teaching today, but that's just uh, something that we always wanna keep at the forefront of our mind. This is the good news. And I just wanna say this as well. This is the news. It's always been good news, uh, but it's, it's really good news today. In, in the context of this pandemic and in the context of so many people wondering what does the future hold and, and what is life all about and, and what happens uh, if, if I were to die? Those, those are real questions that we sometimes push to the side but the gospel is the answer to all of those questions. And so, like I said, we'll come back to that, but we wanna focus now today on the verses that we looked at together. And just quickly in verses seven through nine, Paul expresses his perspective on his past life's achievements and his present life in Christ. So as we see here, Paul says, what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God by faith. So Paul previously uh, had put his, confidence in his own righteousness. He was uh, part of an elite group of Jewish um, religious leaders called the Pharisees. And they were confident that through their own law keeping and their own uh, righteousness, they could attain God's favor. Well, Paul came to the realization through an encounter with Jesus that that was not the case. That was impossible that his own righteousness could never meet the requirement that God had. And so Paul says that he counts all of that previous uh, righteousness that he assumed he had, he counts that as rubbish. That, that is no longer a, a factor. And he now has fully embraced the righteousness that comes uh, through the gift of God given, uh, that comes through faith in Christ. Now, in verse 10, Paul expresses his desire to go deeper in this relationship that he has with Christ. And keep in mind that Paul is probably minimum of two, maybe close to three decades into this relationship with Christ. But he says in verse 10, he says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection 
and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. So even after these decades of walking with and knowing and following and serving Christ, he still has this deep passion to know Christ in a deeper way that, that um, he says here again, that I might uh, know the, the fellowship of his suffering or the, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed to his death. And then he says this, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now here's where we have to stop and say, wait a second, what, what does that mean? What, what is Paul talking about here when he says, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead? Because what it sounds like possibly he's saying is that he's not totally sure if in the end he will attain to the resurrection. It sounds like he could be indicating that he thinks that he somehow must, must work harder, that he must get to know Christ better so he can have a greater assurance that he will attain to the resurrection. And talking about attaining to the resurrection, we can use the, the term salvation. So here's the question. Was Paul uncertain about his own salvation? Second question, did Paul think that somehow he had to contribute his own efforts uh, to his salvation? And the answer to both questions is no. Paul was not uncertain and he did not think that. And he would not have meant that in what he stated here because that would have contradicted everything he just said. So then what does Paul mean by if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is what we need to understand. Paul is not talking about a future resurrection, the resurrection at the end of time. He's not talking about the ultimate goal of salvation to bring him into that resurrected glorified state with Christ. He's not talking about something in the future he's hoping to attain, but a present experience of the resurrected life that Jesus gives to his people. And so if we just read uh, what Paul said uh, just a slight bit differently, we will understand the meaning of it. And this is the way I think we should read it, that Paul, when he says that I... Uh, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, we should read it to the resurrection out from among the dead. You see, that's what Paul's talking about. Out from among the dead. Now, the Bible tells us that we are by nature, our natural state is dead in trespasses and sins. And so we're born into that state. We remain in that until we are born again, until we are born of the Spirit. And then when we're born of the Spirit, that Spirit of Christ gives us the resurrected life of Christ and brings us out from the realm of the dead. And so what Paul is really describing here is a life that's lived out of this state of deadness, this, this resurrected life, this life that, that Jesus gives to us that is his life that was uh, demonstrated when he rose from the dead. Now, this is not the only place Paul says something like this. And it's always good to look for other passages that help us to understand what he's talking about. In Romans chapter six, verse four, Paul says something that is similar. And listen to what he said. He said, therefore we were buried with him, speaking of Christ, through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, even so we also should walk or live in the newness of life. So this is the same thing. He's talking about this newness of life, living this life out from among the dead, living this, this resurrected life, living, even though we're still in the world of the dead, so to speak, yet we are living a different life. We're living a life different than the life we used to live. 
we're living now the, the resurrected life. That, that's what Paul is talking about here when he says that I might know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection out from among the dead. Paul wants his life to be all that Christ intends it to be here in the present time. And as Paul is expressing this for himself, of course, this is also um, God through Paul expressing uh, his desire for us, that we would live out from among the dead, that we, our lives would be lives that are um, like Christ because we are living in the power of the resurrected Christ. And so Paul says here a number of things about living this resurrected life. And I want to just walk through a few of the things that Paul says in the portion of scripture that we read today. So looking at verse 12, Paul says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So this is, this is where we see um, what, what, what is driving Paul. Paul wants to apprehend that for which he was apprehended by Christ. That's the, the using the King James terminology. Uh, here in my new King James version, it is laying hold of. So Paul says he wants to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of him. And, and here's what we need to know. Christ laid hold of us for specific purposes. And, and Paul recognizes that and he knows that. So what, what are those things? Well, first of all, and ultimately, Christ has laid hold of us so that we might obtain uh, his glory. He, he laid hold of us ultimately so that we might one day be glorified with him and enjoy his presence e eternally. So, that, so that's the ultimate purpose behind his uh, laying hold of us. Uh, Paul expresses it this way in writing to the church in Thessalonica. He says in chapter two, verses 13 and 14, he says, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we were apprehended for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the distant picture. That, that's where we are headed. But what Paul is talking about here when he says, I, I want to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me, he's I think more specifically in this context, he's referring to the present. And so as he refers to the present, what is he speaking of? Well, he's speaking of the fullness of God's plan for our lives here and now in both service and sanctification. Paul believed that Christ laid hold of him with a purpose in mind. And Paul says, I, I want to, I want to lay hold of the purpose for which Christ laid hold of me. See, Paul's saying, I, I, want to, I want to enter into all that God intended for me when he saved me. And that would include, as I said, both service and sanctification. Now, so for Paul, here's Paul, who, as I've already said, you know, at least two decades, maybe three decades into his service for Christ, his following the Lord. And if we know anything about Paul, we know that he wrote uh, most of the letters in the New Testament. We know that he labored extensively. We know that he traveled the Mediterranean world, preaching the gospel, leading people to Christ, establishing churches, raising up leadership, 
These are all the things that Paul was engaged in doing, but he says that he wants to still lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of him. Paul is saying, I, I wanna, if there's more, I wanna do more. I, I, wanna, I wanna go further than I've already gone. You might look at Paul and think, well, you've already done so much. But for Paul, it was like, yeah, that, I have done so much, but I wanna do more. I want to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. But, it wasn't only that, and I don't even think it was mainly that. I think when Paul says, I want to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me, I think he's even thinking more about the reality of becoming more intimate in his relationship with Christ and therefore he himself becoming more Christ-like. You see, what Paul is even more concerned to make sure he does in his life is he wants to, he wants to attain the place that, that God has for him in fellowship with Christ and in transformation by Christ into the likeness of Christ. As wonderful as it is to serve God, to be a servant of the Lord like Paul was or many others have been in that role as well. And I can say this from my own experience, as wonderful as it is to serve God, God did not redeem me primarily to become his servant, but he redeemed me to become his son, in my case, and in maybe in your case, his daughter. He redeemed us to become first and foremost his children. He redeemed us so we could know him and have this deep intimate relationship with him and so that through that process, he could actually transform us into the image of Christ. So when Paul says, I wanna lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me, I think Paul is talking more about going deeper with Christ personally and becoming more like Christ to those around him. Christ-likeness is what he's referring to. Now, how would we define that? What, what, what is this Christ-likeness that Paul is um, longing to attain? I, I think the best way to summarize it would be to just take the, the fruit of the Spirit as expressed in Galatians chapter five and, and just understand that as being a, um, a declaration really of the character of Christ. Now remember, it's the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So these are, in a sense, the attributes of the Holy Spirit. But of course, the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ as well. So as we look at the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. As we look at that, we can say this is Christ-likeness. Christ was, of course, the incarnation of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So when Paul is saying that he's striving for Christ-likeness through deeper intimacy with Christ, this is what he is talking about. So, how is he going about this? Well, the first thing he tells us is that he is approaching it all with a realistic view of himself. And when we think about this, when we think about going deeper with Christ, when we think about becoming more like Christ, we, of course, we need to start as well with a realistic view of ourselves. And the realistic view that Paul expresses here is there in verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. You see, Paul knew that there was still more that Christ wanted to do in him. Paul knew that. And if we're, if we're looking at ourselves honestly with um, a, a clear view 
then we're going to realize the same thing as well. I, I have not attained. I, I'm, I'm not perfected. Uh, you think if anybody might have reached that, that goal, you think of somebody like Paul or maybe one of the other apostles, you would think, well, well surely they got, they got really close. Well, well, Paul says, I have not attained. Uh, I, I'm not yet perfected. Paul recognized in himself that there were still things that Christ needed to work into him, things that Christ needed to work out of him. And if we're honest, we're all going to feel the same way. And the circumstances sometimes of life, they, they bring out some of the areas where we need to continue to grow. This past week, I, I have to say that the Lord showed me some areas where I needed to continue to, to grow. I'm not perfected in these areas. So, you know, this past week, as I've been thinking about the, the current situation, the lockdown here in California and all of this, which I, I had felt like I'd been navigating it pretty well, just internally, just in my own mind and in my own spirit. But, you know, I have to admit that this past week, I just, I started to feel some real frustration building up inside. And, you know, I'm looking at one report that says this and another one that says that. And here's some statistics about what the virus is going to do. And here's some contradictory. And, and you know, as, as I'm kind of just walking through all this, I'm, I'm finding myself getting more and more frustrated. And in my frustration, I'm finding myself wanting to sort of vocalize some of my frustration. So I'm talking to a few people and I'm telling them what I think about this and that. And, and in the midst of that, I find the Lord convicting me. And, and the Lord just really challenging me about um, what, what's driving this. And, you know, why, why is this frustration coming out? And I had to admit, I had to confess and admit that this frustration is being driven by a lack of trust on my part. I'm not trusting God. And the, and the Lord just began to speak to me very, very gently, but, you know, it was very uh, definitely. And it was basically, Brian, do you trust me? Uh, I'm the Lord of the church. Are, are you going to look to me or are you going to, you know, be looking to something else or uh, are you putting your trust in, in something other than me? Are you going to be patient and wait for me knowing that I can open the churches anytime? And if I've not allowed that at this point, then I've got a good reason. Are, are you willing to just um, take a step back and stop complaining and just rest in my sovereign plan? And of course, I said, yes, Lord, I am. But, but not before experiencing some, some realization it was just a fresh reminder of what Paul is saying here. I have not uh, attained. I have not been perfected. There are still plenty of areas in my life where I need to grow and become more like Christ. And that was, as I said, just one example. And so Paul has a realistic view of self. And, and again, the realistic view is I, I've not arrived. I need to keep growing. I need to go deeper. And, and as, as you're tuning in today, as, as you're listening, and I would imagine that, I mean, maybe there are a few people that would say, well, no, I'm, I'm fine. I've arrived. I, don't, I, I'm, I am perfected, but we know that that's a, actually delusional. But, um, but, but for those who are without delusion, who recognize uh, we haven't been perfected, we still need to keep growing, so what, what's the process? And Paul, he then goes on and he shares with us the process. And so he says in verse 13, he says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but he says one thing I do. One thing I do, or as the New English translation puts it, I am single-minded. And that's probably a better way to understand it. Paul, Paul is singly focused on, on this. His, his goal is to do this. His goal is to go deeper with Christ. 
and he uh, expresses it with, first of all, forgetting the things that are behind, secondly, reaching forward to the things that are ahead, and thirdly, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I'm single-minded. This is my desire. This is what Christ has uh, apprehended me for. And this is how I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there by, first of all, forgetting the things that are behind. This is, this is such a, I mean, just the, the statement in and of itself is so powerful because the statement tells us that this is, this is uh, a reality for the Christian. This is a reality for those who trust God. We, through the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can actually leave the past behind us. Now, you know, so many people are, are bound up because of their past sins and failures. So many people are stuck. So many people cannot move forward because they can't leave the past behind them. They have no uh, ability to do it. They don't realize that there's a God who can wipe away the past. They don't realize that there is a God who can forgive the past. They don't realize that there's a God who can heal from the past. But for the Christian, that is the reality. We can forget the things that are behind. Years ago, I was living in Britain and I had a friend who attended the church I was pastoring there. Uh, he was a clinical psychologist, had a couple of earned PhDs. Uh, he invited me over one night. He wanted to sit down and talk and have some food together. I went to his flat. And as we sat there talking, he opened the Bible to this very verse. And he read it. He said, forgetting the things that are behind. And he looked at me and he said, is that really true? Can we forget the things that are behind? And I said, well, it is true. This is God's word and this is what he says. And he says, you know, I'm a psychologist. I knew that. He says, you know, I'm a psychologist. He says, uh, our whole approach to dealing with people is all rooted in, in the fact that they can't really get beyond their past or, or they got to just somehow keep striving and trying to do it, but it's probably impossible. And, and we both then rejoiced in the reality that the gospel gives us an opportunity and a power that is not found anywhere else, that we can forget the things that are behind. We can forget them because God's forgotten them. We can forget them because God's forgiven them. And we, we don't have to be bound by that. And so this is where Paul starts. He says, forgetting the things that are behind. And, and I wanna say that that's both bad things and good. Now, obviously we wanna forget the bad things. And we want to forget the bad things because if I dwell on my past sins and failures, those things will prevent me from moving forward. But the good can also prevent me from moving forward. How is that? Well, the good can prevent me from moving forward because if I dwell on my past successes, I can become complacent and satisfied with less than all God has for me. So you see, even the good things in the past, we can't rest on those things. We can't dwell on those things. I mean, if anybody could have said, you know, I've done so much for the kingdom. I've done so much for Christ. I've preached the gospel. I've suffered for the gospel. He's writing this letter from, I'm imprisoned for the gospel. If anybody could have said, you know, I've done enough. And I'm just going to rest now and just take it easy and live on my past successes. If anybody could have done it, Paul could have done it. But Paul says, I don't do that. You see, he knew that there was the human tendency uh, toward complacency. And so he said, whether it's your failures or your successes, forget the things that are behind. Now, I'm not saying that we don't look back at our you know, successes in the Lord and draw inspiration from that, but don't settle on the past. Don't settle that, well, because years ago I did this for God or I did that for God or I was so close to God that it doesn't matter now. No, it matters now. And so forgetting the things that are behind. And then secondly, Paul says, reaching forward to those things that are ahead. 
there's more God wants to do in you and there's more that God wants to do through you. And even Paul saw that about himself. Reaching forward to the things that are ahead. Paul knew that there was more. He knew that there was more service for God. There were more things for him to do for the kingdom. But he also, as I've already said, he knew there was more that Christ needed to do in him. He knew that that his character still had flaws. He knew that in, in areas he still wasn't like Christ. And, and so what, what's he gonna do? He's gonna keep reaching. He's, he's gonna keep just moving forward and saying, Lord, I'm not gonna let my past failures or my successes hold me back. I'm gonna keep moving forward with you. I'm gonna keep reaching I think Paul was of the mindset that, that he knew that, that God rewarded those who, who seek him. And, and Paul would essentially say, I, I'm gonna seek the Lord. I know that those things that, that I'm reaching for, I know that he's gonna help me to attain those things. So, so Paul is reaching, the very, just the word itself, reaching, um, it it kind of gives us a bit of a word picture that, that he's, he's stretching himself. That's a good, a good way to think of it. You know, sometimes we use that term, right? Um, I, you know, sometimes I will even say that about myself, man, I need to be stretched. I've become so comfortable or so complacent. I, I need to be stretched. And that's what we're talking about. Paul's reaching. I'm, I'm gonna stretch myself beyond. I'm not gonna just settle into this complacency. No, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna reach further, reaching further, believing that God has more. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? You see, that's what we are to believe, that no, God has more. At this stage in my life, I, I believe God has more. I believe he has more for me as a, as, as a person he's called into gospel ministry. I also believe he has more for me uh, as a person. He wants to make me more like Jesus. I was just talking to um, Jordan, our executive pastor, and I was telling him how, you know, even at this stage in life, and even after all of these years in ministry, this season that we are currently in, this is a stretching season. I'm, I'm having to do things that I um, don't feel comfortable with. I, areas that I would just as soon not um, even bother with. I feel like the Lord's saying, step into it. Uh, just, just engage it. Don't worry about your discomfort. Uh, the, I'm gonna stretch you. Uh, and that, you know, over my lifetime, I could... I can look at many times where the Lord's called me to step up to a challenge because he basically said, I wanna stretch you. I, I wanna take you further than you think you can go. And so that's what Paul is doing. He's reaching, but then he goes a step further and he says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. So these, the very terms that Paul's using, he's, using terms that are speaking of exerting himself. He's going to exert himself. And this is something that I think maybe we have forgotten a little bit about here in our comfortable version of Christianity in the West. We've forgotten that it takes exertion. It takes effort. You know, sometimes we're so afraid of falling into legalism or we're so afraid of not um, operating in the grace of God. We think that, well, you know, I don't, I don't wanna put forth too much effort. That might end up being a work. But um, we have to remember that, that grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. So it's not opposed to effort. Dallas Willard said this. Uh, it, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace actually empowers us to put forth effort. Grace is just simply opposed to earning. Paul's already addressed that. I've tried to earn my way into God's favor. I realized that was fruitless. And so I've counted all of that loss. So Paul's talking about putting forth effort here. 
I press toward the goal for the prize. This is a beautiful picture of Christ up ahead of us and above us and actually bidding us to come to come to come further, uh, to, to step up higher, to press forward, to, to reach him. And yet here's the great truth behind it all. We do not do that through our own strength. So, so think about Jesus. Think, just put yourself at, uh, say Jesus is up. He's up further. He's up the path um, ahead of you but the, also the elevation is, is quite steep. And, and there's Jesus and he's, he's bidding us to come to him. He's further and he's higher. He's above us and he's bidding us to come. But so, of course, we have to take the step. We have to exert the effort. But the good news of the gospel is that he, by his spirit, is present in us to strengthen us to take the step forward. He, by his spirit, is alongside of us to help us and, and to pull us forward to himself. You see, that, that's the beauty of being a Christian. It's not simply that there's this ideal that somehow we are to try to attain, but we can never ultimately make it. it there is an ideal, and the ideal is the life of Christ but the, the Christ himself comes and indwells us and gives us his power to become like him. And, and this is really the difference between religion and this is the difference between the relationship that we have with God through Christ. And so we must press toward the goal. We must press toward toward the goal. And th this is a picture of spiritual discipline. And what Paul is saying is that he pushed himself to keep going deeper and deeper with Jesus. And we must do that also. He wanted to attain to the life out from among the dead. He wanted to live as much as possible with Christ's likeness. So when he says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call, that's it. The goal was to be with Christ and like Christ. You know, recently I listened to a conversation uh, with a man named Rahil Patel. Uh, he was formerly a Hindu priest. And he wrote a book called A Hindu Priest Encounters Jesus Christ. And, and this was one of the most fascinating conversations I have ever heard, I have to admit. And uh, a fantastic um, testimony from this uh, Indian man. Um, I listened to it on um, the Undeceptions podcast with John Dixon, uh, a theologian from Australia. And, um, but in this conversation... There were so many amazing things about this conversation. But at one point, actually toward the end, um, John Dixon asked uh, Rahil about uh, the differences between uh, Hinduism and Christianity. And, and he wanted him to kind of narrow it down to just the, kind of the essence. You know, what, 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 is, what is the difference? And he said uh, a number of things, but one of the things he said that was interesting is he said discipline. Now, he, uh, he was born in England and grew up in the London area, but then at the age of 16, he went to India and for six years, he uh, trained to become a Hindu priest. And um, even in his life in London, uh, he described the daily routine of the family as Hindus and the worship and all of that. And uh, it was quite convicting, really, how uh, the devotedness of this family to these, these idols, these, these false gods. But their devotion, um, it, it really put to shame the devotion of many Christians. So, but, but as he's, he's talking about this, he says, you know, discipline 
was one of the things that he saw as a difference. And, and then he said this, and I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing, but he said, discipline seems to be lacking in much of Western Christianity. He said, people think of discipline as punishment. Um, and, and then he says, discipline can come out of religion's rigorous efforts to please God. Now that was his experience as a Hindu. He went through all of these rigorous processes of fasting and, and deprivation and uh, you know, living in extreme conditions and, and all of this, at which you know, looks somewhat like a punishment. And, and it was through all of this that was motivated by his, or driven by his Hindu religion. He said, people oftentimes see um, a discipline in that way. But then he said something that to me was so profound. He said, but discipline can also come out of romance. And then he went on and he said, Christian discipline stem from encountering the tangible available presence of God through Christ, a presence that satisfies every part of your being and longing to know that presence more and more. So he has a whole nother take on discipline. And he says, discipline can come out of romance. And he briefly alludes to think of the discipline that you exercise in the early days of love. Think of how disciplined you were to, to do all that you could to be with that loved one and to seek to please that loved one. And, and, and I know for myself um, that, you know, brought, it, it was a great illustration. I, I could think of many things that I did then in, in my zeal, in my new love for Cheryl that uh, unfortunately I, I don't do them today. But, but I could even think of, of some of the zeal and passion and, and discipline I had in the early days of my Christian life that maybe I am not so disciplined about today as well. But you see, Discipline is not bad. And that's what Paul is talking about. If it's motivated by the right thing and the right thing is love. It's love for Christ because of the love of Christ. So discipline in the Christian life is not an effort to obtain God's favor, but a loving response to the favor we've been freely given in Christ who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You see, that's why Paul said, I press, I discipline myself. I, I am going to, um, I'm gonna put myself out. I'm gonna stretch myself because I love Christ. And I love Christ because of his immense love for me. And so my friends, this is, I think a word for us today. Because I think that uh, Rahil is right about this. I think in the Western church, we are part of the Western church, right? We are the Western world uh, here in the United States and in Europe and, you know, Canada, Australia, you know, we're all part of this uh, cultural thing known as the West. And, and what's happened? I think that there has been a, um, a complacency that has set in. And I believe, and I think others would testify that they believe the same thing, that God is using this present moment to wake us up out of our complacency and to get us to be serious once again about seeking Christ and pressing toward the goal and, and longing to be transformed into his, his image, to be more like Jesus. You see, that, that's really the goal. And as I said earlier, as much as serving the Lord is a wonderful thing, um, and, and that is part of it, but that's not all of it. I have to admit, I know plenty of people who have served the Lord, and yet their character is, is so far from Christ-likeness. And that is unacceptable. God wants to change us into being more like Jesus. And if that's gonna happen, we have to exert some 
discipline. And so the Lord has given us this opportunity. He's given us this lockdown. He's given us this time where um, there's uh, plenty of space and time to just begin to seek him in fresh new ways. And, and I, I want to encourage that because that's what the Christian life is ultimately about. It's ultimately about knowing Christ knowing him deeply and intimately and being made more like him. And when we come through this season, uh, how wonderful and powerful it will be to see the work that God has done in the lives of many. And as we gather once again, we gather with a fresh uh, work of the spirit in our lives and a fresh likeness to Jesus Christ. And that fresh likeness to Jesus Christ is likely to become a very attractive thing. You know, it's interesting. Um, the man that I'm referring to, the Indian man, he said that at one period in his journey, he spoke to his guru and he mentioned that the, he said the Christians had uh, some good things to offer. Christianity did. And the guru's response was, yes, they're very good at administration and things like that, but their character is uh, very unappealing. And you think, wow, that kind of says it all right there. But you could never say that about Christ. You would say that, oh, the character of Christ is the most appealing of characters. Well, that's what he is wanting to make us into. But that's not gonna happen unless we do what Paul said, unless we forget the things that are behind, unless we reach for the things that are ahead, unless we press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. And remember, we do that not to earn God's favor, we do that because we already have his favor, because he favors us. And so Paul, finally, he goes on, and in the concluding portion here, he basically, in verses 16 and uh, 15 and 16, he, he says, therefore, let as many as are mature have this mind. This is the mindset of the mature, he says. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. So God leaves the, or Paul leaves those who still need convincing. He leaves them with the Lord. And then he says, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So in other words, wherever you're at, this is the rule. And, and wherever you're at today, adopt this. That's what Paul's saying. Adopt it right now today. Have this same mind and this will move you forward into the experiencing of the upward call of God in Christ. The presence of Christ and the experience of that presence becoming a, a greater reality and the likeness of Christ becoming more of a reality as well in and through your life. And so as we close today, um, I pray that if um, you've been listening and watching as a believer, I pray that this will greatly encourage you to press in, to press on and to press in, to, to press forward in Christ. And remember the Holy Spirit is there to empower you to do that. And, and maybe even as you're listening, you're, you're convicted. Like I was convicted the other day about my grumbling and my attitude and I needed to repent of that. If you're convicted, receive that and let God use that to give you what you need to press forward. If you're watching, listening today, and maybe you don't really know any of these things by experience. Maybe at this point, you, you don't know Christ. Well, remember where we started? We started with the gospel. The good news is that this God loves you and he wants you to know that he loves you and he wants you to experience his love. And one final word from this Hindu priest, he said the difference between Christianity and Hinduism, the biggest difference was the presence of the loving Christ in his life. And that's the reality. You see, this is not a, um, a code of ethics that we're talking about. This is not a bunch of religious rules that we're imposing. This is a living person, the God who created all things, the savior of the world, 
who invites us into a relationship with himself and through that relationship transforms us and makes us like him. And if you're not in that relationship today, you can be. And it's as simple as confessing that you have sinned and that you need a savior and acknowledging Jesus as the savior and asking him to come and to take over your life. If you do that today, then I can tell you with assurance that you will become a child of God, that your destiny will forever change. You're, you're gonna realize that there is a purpose for your existence. You know, the statistics are right now, uh, alcohol sales in the country are up 22%. There's domestic violence all over the land because people are locked down. Why are, why are people turning to alcohol? Why are people turning to drugs? Why are people uh, in conflict? Because they have uh, no relationship with the God who made them because sin has dominion over their lives. If that's you today, Christ can and will set you free. And I just invite you to call upon him to receive him into your life. And he will come and he will do that very thing. He will make you uh, the person that he wants you to be. And so Lord, we thank you for your great gift of salvation. And we pray, Lord, for the power of the gospel to be at work in our lives. And Lord, I pray for every believer that's tuned in today. I pray, Lord, that we would all take to heart this encouraging word to go deeper, to press toward the goal of the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I pray for anyone who's joined us who has yet to receive the gift of salvation. Lord, I pray right now they would sense your presence. They would know that you're there. They would open their heart and call upon you to save them and that you would do that. So thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your greatness. And Lord, we pray as well again for the current situation. We pray that you would sustain us through it and deliver us from it in your time. In Jesus' name, amen.